Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. It was around 1540 when Martin Luther's friend and his assistant, his name was Frederick Myconis, and he became sick and he was really expected to die. As Frederick lay there on his deathbed, he sort of wrote a farewell letter to his friend Luther. And when Luther got it, he sent back this reply, and I quote, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee for the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I speak only to glorify the name of God. End quote. Strong words from Luther, a strong prayer. But Myconus, even though he had lost the ability to speak when Luther's letter arrived, in a short time actually got better. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say that he completely recovered and he outlived Luther by two months. You go, wow. Guys, listen, this is what we call answered prayer. And, and, and when God answers our prayer, guys, you know that feeling. We all rejoice inside and, and we know that even when God hears us, we, we have this feeling when we know that there is something greater above going, man, he hears me, he hears my prayer. And that's exactly what Psalm 138 is all about. What's that? Well, it's that praise to the Lord, guys, for answered prayers. But it's much more than that. You see, because oftentimes we praise the Lord, if you will, for answered prayers and we say yes, but let's talk about prayer for just a moment. You see, because Psalm 130 is not only talk about prayer or praise for prayer, it's all gonna, it's all gonna praise the Lord for, well, His plans and His purpose, but let's talk about prayer for just a moment. Every one of us in this room are, are, are just so excited when God answers our prayer. When we pray and we see something like Luther, we're just like, yes! Praise the Lord! God said yes! I knew He would! But a lot of us don't have that same response when the answer is no. Was your prayer answered? Yes. What did he say? No. Right? Don't we have that same childlike? What did he say? God said no. I really liked it. I'm just all mad. I was just like, right? Don't we do the same thing? We do. But it's answered prayer and we should praise God when the answer is no. Maybe it's wait. Maybe God's like, hey, I have something better. And we still get bummed. I prayed to the Lord. Oh, really? How long did you pray? I prayed for five minutes. And God didn't answer. And we get bummed when sometimes he's like, wait, wait, wait. I got something better. Hold on. Hold on. I know you see this right now, but I want you to wait. Psalm 138, guys, is, well, it's answered prayer. It's answered prayer. It's praising God for answered prayer. It's praise for the plans. And it's Praise for his purpose. Well, we're right on track, if you will. We're on track two, if you know what I'm talking about in your playlist. We saw Psalm 1 last week, and we're ready to hit it and come on to the next psalm. And this psalm is amazing because 
It's the first of eight psalms that are attributed to David. They form a special collection just before they have the five hallelujah psalms that climax the end of this book. Now, what are we talking about? Book number five. Okay, so David is writing this. Everybody got that? Now, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to remember, okay? You can jot this down somewhere in your Bible. If you're taking notes, Psalm 138 is always going to, I mean, when we write something to the Lord, when we journal or we do our devotion, it's always going to be birthed out of something, whatever we're going through in our lives. And it's the same for David. Psalm 138 grew out of opposition. David wrote this out of opposition. You go, what was going on? You see, the neighboring nations that surrounded King David were always wanted, wanting to attack David. It was always stress. David was leading the united, if you will, nation of Israel at this point. Hadn't been divided yet. And so the neighboring nations were always looking at him going. And that caused a lot of stress. And I don't know if some of you can relate, but Psalm 138 was born out of opposition. Opposition. You go, what opposition? Well, to get a better clue, hold your finger here in Psalm 138 and go a little bit, guys, to the left and find 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel, so we're holding 138, go back just a little bit. You'll run into Job, and then you'll hit the Chronicles, and then you'll hit Kings, and then you'll run into 2 Samuel, it should be right there about a quarter of the pages to, well, your left, if you're looking at it, the Bible that way. It's going to be your left, Second Samuel chapter 8. Now, while you're turning there, listen up. For years, David had very little power. You know that, right? He was put out in the fields to do what? Well, he was a shepherd boy, and that's what he was supposed to do. And when Samuel came on the scene to anoint Israel's, what, future king from among the sons of Jesse, David was not even considered. He was the youngest in the runt, and there he was, out tending sheep. And there were times when David exercised a certain amount of power and authority under Saul, but soon he became a fugitive, and then his official power was taken away. Even his wife was taken from him. Well, fast forward many years later, Saul is dead and David has now become king. He's king of Israel in his place. And in our text, David will subdue his enemies and bring about peace. Chapters 8 through 10 of Second Samuel find David in his finest form. He employs the power of God giving him to accomplish God's will. Now, let me give you a side note, okay? Chapter 8 is David at his pinnacle. It is at his best. We're going to see him, but just a few chapters later, we're going to find David falling flat on his face. When he happens to go out of his palace and look over and see a woman bathing, and of course, you know the story. But tonight, we're going to focus on this is where David is. Second Samuel chapter 8. We're just going to read it, guys, and, and, and move on. Notice what it says. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg, Arma, Amma, from the land of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those he put to death, and with one full line, he kept those to be alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. 
David de- defeated Hadadezer, uh, the son of Rahab, the king of Zobah. And he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David. He also hamstrung all the chariots' horses except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Verse 5, when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. David put a garrison in Syria and Damascus. And the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. And so the Lord presented David, or the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took shields of gold that belonged to the servants of Hadadezer. And he brought them to Jerusalem, also from Debetah and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer. King David took a large amount of bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been with war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of bronze. King David also dedicated those to the Lord, along with the silver, the gold, that he had dedicated from all the other nation he had subdued, from Syria to Moab, from the people of Amnon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoils of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Why do we bring this up? Because right here in, is, is, guys, this is David's best days. Right here. Wherever he goes, he's prospering. Wherever he walks, this is King David. He's subduing all the nations. God is with him and God is strengthening him in every battle. And all the way through, you can see that. You see, it was God's plan that David reign over Israel. But the Jebusites, the Philistines, and the Moabites, well, they wanted something else. You go, what was that, Pastor Ben? They wanted a divided Israel with a weak leader. Who were they? They were the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Moabites. Well, see, David knew something that they didn't. He knew God's will. He prayed for God's help, trusted for God's victory. And the Bible just told us, guys, that he defeated his enemy. Now, think about this. We just read how David subdued his enemies. People would come in. David would win. I mean, we're talking who? The Jebusites, right? We're talking the Philistines. We're talking to Moab. We're even talking to Edomites and, and, and so forth. But let's concentrate on those three. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here it is. Listen. God wants the same for us. How so? Well, see, God has a plan for each one of his children. You see... For the follower of Jesus, his plan is that you and I live a victorious Christian life. That's his plan. Oh, sure, for other of us, he has ministries. For other of us, he has different things, missionaries and so forth. But really, his ultimate plan is that every one of you live a victorious Christian life. But we also have enemies. You go, well, who are they? If you're taking note, you've heard me say this a thousand times, but you're looking at the devil, you're looking at the flesh, and you're looking at world. That's what they are. There are three enemies that are wanting to trip you up, stop you, 
cut you off, put you on a shelf. I want you to live this victorious Christian life. They want to do you harm. And here's what they really want, church. Listen to me. They want us weak and broken and living lives, lives in defeat. What are you talking about? Guys, there are times when Christians walk around so defeated. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Really? Yeah, I love Jesus. How's it going? Terrible. And, and, and are we not like Eeyore? I mean, we're, we're Christians, but we're walking around like Eeyore, and we're just like, we're just like, everything is such a bummer. Why? Because we're so defeated that everything we try, the enemy comes and wipes out. And so, there are a lot of believers, and I hope not to be one of them, that are just sitting here bummed. I gave my life to the Lord several years ago. Yeah, I'm really bummed. How come? You see? But that's not what God wants. He wants us, He doesn't want us to live lives in defeat. Now, let's break this down, okay? Because I want you to take notes because this is going to blow your mind, okay? The group, one of the groups that were wanting to bug David, if you will, kind of defeat him, make him weak, be defeated, were the Jebusites. The Jebusites were known as the Threshers, okay? The Threshers. They lived in Jerusalem. And you go, well, what's the point? Well, in our day, guys, they are spirits that tread or stomp on other people. They're a type of people whose hearts are infected by, if you will, the Jebusite spirit. And here's what they do. They tend to be people who do not hesitate to put down or humiliate others. By stomping on people, the Jebusites make a concerted effort to prevent them from growing taller, and they like to make people feel small and deliberately put them down. You can also write, that's like the world, is it not? The world and its systems. Why? The the world never says, go get them for Jesus. All right, I'm proud of you. The world says, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Are you kidding me? Listen. As you grow in your walk with God, there are going to be people in your lives that always seem to put you down. They have that Jebusite spirit. They always seem to put you down. Make you feel small and somewhat humiliate you. See, listen, these people, when we allow them into our lives are going to keep us from growing in our walks with God. you gotta, you got to grasp this, guys. Why? Because for some reason in our lives, we feel like we have, we're a little bit farther along in our walks. And what do we do? We tend to put other people down instead of lift them up. You see, if I can make you feel small, then I look big and I look grand and I look tall. Boy, boy, look at him. He knows the Bible. Oh, you don't know the Bible. That's the last thing. Oh, my goodness. You got the wrong interpretation. I can't. Do you even study? Do you even read? I mean, and, and that's the Jebusite. And those are those things that we need to. Guys, listen. You need to make sure that those people in your life, you're not listening to the ones that are trying to put you down, make you weak, humiliate you. Well, what happens if I get a wrong Bible verse? It's okay. 
It's okay. Why? Can I, can I talk to the wives in here for just a moment? Wives, listen. God made you really smart. And sometimes as men, we try real hard and we don't get it as right as you do. But the last thing that your husband needs is for you to come and make him feel like he didn't know anything in the Bible. Your husband comes to you and goes, look what I found. Can you believe this? I just, look what this verse means. And you go, really? Oh my God, I learned that in fourth grade at Sunday school. What do you think that's going to do, church? It's going to just discourage him. It's going to make, so what do you do? You smile, you say, oh, that's amazing, honey. Wow. Another thing too, listen, women, women, if you have a question, you can Google it, can you? You can figure out, you can ask the pastor, who are you supposed to ask? Go ask your husband. He doesn't know anything. No, but it causes him to search the scriptures, even though you know. Be careful, guys, because the Jebusites are doing that to us. In 2 Samuel, what does it say? And David said, oh, let me go back. 2 Samuel 5, 8 and 9 says, that day David said to his men, is there anybody here who hate the Jebusites as much as I do? David knew what they were like. Enough to kill them? Then go up to the water tunnel and attack those, those poor blind cripples, he says. And that is why the blind and the cripple cannot enter the Lord's house. After capturing their fortress, David lived in it and named it David's city. So it's not Jebusite anymore. It's now David's city or the city of David. And he built a city around it, starting with the palace where the land was filled on the east side of the hill. That's the Jebusites. Well, who else was an enemy of David? Well, it's the Philistines. It's the Philistines, right? If the Jebusites were the world, who are the Philistines? The Philistines are a type of the the devil. You go, why? Guys, the Philistines were the ancient people primarily known for their constant conflict with the Israelites. They fought all the, even today. How so? You'll go to Israel and if, and, and there's a place where they say, no, it's not Israel. It's called Palestine. And Palestine comes from Philistine. And so they're still fighting today, right? There's still conflict. And you go, okay. So that sounds a lot like the devil. And you go, why? Guys, because isn't he always in conflict with you? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, know this. The devil doesn't take a day off at all. He doesn't. He's always trying to get you. Now, you and I, we've been walking with Jesus, right? And so we can see in front of us, and we know when there's some attacks coming. Where does he come from, guys? Where does he come? It's called our blind side. It's called our blind side, right? And you go, what does that mean? Well, it's funny because Pastor Josh and I, this afternoon, decided to go get a cup of coffee so that I would preach a little bit faster for you tonight. And it... Joe, you're going to stay after school. You're just in detention. In his car, we're driving, right? And on his mirror, he has a little, a little image on the mirror, and it blinks. And what it does is it shows him that there's a car in his blind spot. Okay? Now, back in our day, you just looked over and said, anybody there? And you just started coming over, right? If they, My blind spot was them honking. Beep. So you come on back. 
But they made it so now where it's like, beep, 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 beep. And he's like, oh, somebody's there. I say, isn't that the word of God for us? Because we know the frontal attacks, but we got to have those, those blind sides because that's where he wants to come. That's the Philistines. And what does he want to do? He wants to trip you up. He wants to, he wants to knock you down. Oh, guys, listen. If you're saved, the enemy can't take your salvation, but he can get you in a place where you are just living a defeated life. Don't let him. Don't let him. Second Samuel chapter 8, 1, it says, And it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued him. You go, well, Ben, how do I do this? Well, if you're taking note, what does the Bible say? James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do we do this? First of all, we submit to God, resist the devil, and he's going to run from you. Third enemy is what? The Moabites. The Moabites. And the Moabites, guys, are a type of, of really, they're a type of the flesh. Because when you look at their history, their start was bad in Genesis 19. They were excluded from the congregation of the people, and they were to be utterly destroyed, the last mention of them in Scripture being. So the flesh, that's what they're type of. And you think, well, what is, how does that, well, let me, let me just break this down, okay? Because the flesh, it's not about what is physical, the body, but it's about the evil principle within us, which makes self the center of our thoughts and ways instead of God. When we talk about the flesh, all you're doing is you're putting you before God. That's what he's talking about, the flesh. The flesh is always opposed to God's will, and it cannot please him. So our flesh, centered around us, and not making it's not making God, well, it's basically making it impossible to have a victorious life. Why? Because we're always, it's called ego, it's called selfish, self-centered, egocentric, if you will. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14 gives us the remedy. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What's the first thing? He always gives us something to do, doesn't he? You go, why? Because the first one was what? Submit to God. And the second one is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and make no provision to, for the flesh. So, Psalm 138, guys, is born right out of David's victory. Remember, this was the pinnacle. This was where, this is, this is David's finest hour. And what does he do? He employs God's power and he's, in, in God's strength to give him the victory. Now, as we make our way through this psalm, if you're taking note, guys, it's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of praise to the one true God. It's broken up in three sections. Verses 1 to 3 is praise to God for answered prayer. Praise to God for answered prayer. Verses 4 to 6 is resting in God's plan for the world. And then verses 7 and 8 is thanking God for his purpose in our life. Can you say that again, Ben? Verses one to three, we're going to see. We're just going to. You're going to see David praise God for answered prayer. In verses four to six, we're going to see him just resting in God's plan 
And then the last two verses, seven and eight, we're going to see we're going to see him thanking or praising or worshiping God for the for His purpose in our lives. Now we have a lot of work to do. So with that, let's jump into uh, Psalm one thirty-eight. And if you're taking note, first point number one is answered prayer. Now we already talked about this. We all love answered prayer. We all love answered prayer. Why? Well, it does a couple of things. Answered prayer, guys. You can see, and, and it, you, it rejoices in your heart, but it also solidifies your faith. Because when you step over and you pray for something that's per, probably impossible, guess what happens? And you see God work, it, it solidifies your faith. You can step out a little bit more. But let's see what David has to say. You ready? Psalm 138, verse 1, David writes, I will praise you with my whole heart before God's I will sing praises to you. Now, this one verse is so packed, full of wisdom and growth. Why? Here's the first thing, David. David sings out, I will praise you with my, help me church, whole heart. Now, let's break, let's break this down, right? Because a lot of us go, I know what praise is. We come in and we sing praise and we praise the Lord. And sometimes I lift my hand, but sometimes I don't. And sometimes it looks like I'm carrying a TV and sometimes it looks like I'm making a field goal sign. That's praise. That's praise, right? That, no, 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 no. Let's break it down. Here's what the word of God says. The, the original Hebrew is yada. Yada. That's what it means. And it means to hold out hand and, and revere or worship with extended hands in part with casting out, confessing, and thankfulness. It's all of that going on in your heart. So when you say, well, you know what? Listen, when somebody does something real good and you say, hey, let's just, I mean, praise the Lord. Are you really praising the Lord? And you go, why? Because listen, it means it's like, praise the Lord. Wow. It's casting out. It's confessing. And it's thankfulness. So David comes out and he says, listen, this is what I'm doing. With what, David? He says, with my whole heart. With my whole heart. Which, with that which is within me, he says, with that, with all that is within me, with uprightness of intention, fervency and affection, inward impression, agreeing with outward expressions. That's what it means. You go, well, I'm not sure what you just said. Okay. When you're a teenager, some of you remember when you were a teenager, some of you don't, but when you were a teenager and you'd, you'd get a boyfriend, that's all you ever want, I just want a boyfriend, I just want a girlfriend, what would you do, church? You'd fall in love. I fell in love. And he broke my heart, right? Here, here's why we have to be so careful. You go, Why? Because I want to use this as an illustration. When you, when you take your heart and you give it to somebody, boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever age you are, you're giving that person your heart. Now, a lot of times it doesn't work out, so what happens? Your heart gets broken. And so when they give it back to you, it's not a whole heart anymore, is it? That's okay, because, you know... You're young and you'll get over it. And so you go out with another person and, and, and you try to guard your broken heart just a little bit. But eventually you end up giving your heart and maybe that person it goes on for a little longer, but then it, it breaks. And so you get your heart back and it's a little bit more broken. And then you meet somebody else and you go, this is the one. This is the one. He drives a nice car. 
This is the one. He opened the door for me, and he even paid for dinner. This is the one. And so you go out with him for a little while, and then all of a sudden he breaks your heart, and so now you get your heart back, and it's not a whole heart. And when God finally reveals your husband to you, you say, sweetie, I love you with my, my whole heart. Well, the thing about that is that's, yes, that's, that's in a practical level in the date of roaming. Now, God can restore that heart for your husband or your wife. But if we allow it, then we're just saying, we're doing the same thing with God. Why? Because he's going to in term, he's going to employ a term, guys, that's going to blow your way. He's going to in term a term called idols. And what, what he's saying is, I, I'm going to love God with my whole heart because I, because I've been giving my heart over to idols. Notice. David is praising the what? The one true God. And what? where is he praising them? He's, he's praising them before false gods. Notice what it says. I will praise you with my whole heart before the, everybody see that? It's little g gods. And you go, well, what does that mean? If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that because here's what it means. It means, guys, idols or idolatry. Idols or idolatry. So what are you saying, pastor? He says, listen, before these idols... He says, I'm singing praises to the one true God, the one true God. Now, let's talk a moment for, let's talk a little bit about idols. You go, why? Because the goal is here to praise the one true God and worship him. The problem is, is that many people have idols in their hearts. It's a subtle thing in our lives, right? Because we often equate idolatry to some shrine in the middle of the forest that people bow down to, but ours are so much more sophisticated. Idols. You know, Pastor, I didn't come on Wednesday night to talk about idols. I'm going to go home. Hold on. Hold on. Tim Keller in his book called Counterfeit Gods writes that our hearts are like idol factories. If we were to take a moment to look deep in our hearts, we would discover, guys, that we have been taking things that are good and making them ultimate. You go, well, Ben, 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 okay, say, say that again. Look deep in your heart and see, what have I been taking that's really good? You go, because we think idols are bad, right? We think idols are bad, but a lot of times idols are good We've just made them ultimate. You go, well, Ben, what's an, what's an idol? G- give me an idol. You ready? Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. How so? Jot this down. What do you think about the most? That can be an idol. I, I think about my husband because he's just so cute. Do you think about him more than God? Because you're taking something good and making it ultimate. What absorbs your heart and your imagination? Here's the thing with idols, guys. You ready? Idols, gods, people, well, they make horrible gods. Idols give us a sense of being in control 
and we can locate them how? By looking at our nightmares. You go, what do you mean? What do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? And what if you lost it? Would it make life not worth living? Guys, our culture is filled with idols. And it's taking something that's good and making it supreme. Now, for the sake of our time, guys, I can't go real deep into this because we'll be here forever. But let me give you some common idols. Let me give you some common idols. If you're taking notes, listen, there's two things, okay? We all have, we all have surface idols and then we all have source idols. Okay? What, you go, okay, well, what do you mean? What, 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 okay, what, what does it look like? Okay. Let's talk about surface idols for just a moment, okay? Surface idols are exactly that. They're on the surface. They're kind of like crabgrass. Anybody know what crabgrass is? It's that ugly grass that rears its ugly. You And what do we do with crabgrass? Well, it looks like grass, so we just mow over it. The problem is, is that crabgrass grows at four times the rate as normal grass. It's a surface. It's a surface, right? It's, it, you go surface idols. Well, surface idols like crabgrass are very hard to kill. And so what do we do? We simply mow over it, but we don't get to the source or the root of the issue. A source idol is one buried deep in our hearts. And we often tell ourselves this. Ready? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if, and then you can name your idol. Well, what should it be, Ben? Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I can serve the living God. Anything else, guys, is going to destroy you. Well, like what? Well, guys, here we have some idols that we should never worship. I'm just going to run through them real quick, okay? Family. Family and children. God gave you children to be a blessing to worship him. But we've taken children and we've... Are children good? Amen. But they're not ultimate. How do you know when they're ultimate? I only have worth if my children are going to... If my kids, if... I mean, you guys can name it. My life only has meaning. Career or making money. Achievement, critical acclaim, or even saving face can be an idol. Social standing, relationships. Now that's a tough one. Why? Because you love your wife, you love your husband, but if you're not careful, you can take something good and make it ultimate. How do I know? Here's what's going to happen, okay? Here's what's going to happen in your life. When you take your husband or your spouse, your wife, whatever, and you make him ultimate, okay? This person will always, always disappoint you. Why? Because in your mind, you've created this godlike person that should always talk to you, always be nice, never do. And in your mind, you've created how everything should be. And when that doesn't happen, you get hurt. And then you walk away from God. Well, not, not God, God. 
And so you've got to be careful. Why? Because relationships, you can go, well, what are relationships for? They're so that you can go, wow, I praise God for you. Praise the Lord. We can't, you can't reverse that guy's relationships. You go, well, what else? Approval. Did you know that idols, that, that, that idolatry can be approval? You want everybody to like you? And you never want to say anything bad. You know what happens if you have an approval, God? Is that you don't say any, you never speak your mind and you never tell anyone how you feel. And you always agree with somebody, even if you don't. Why? Because I want them to like me. I want them to be, I want, I want you to approve of me. I want you to pat me on the back. Do you like me? Tell me how much you like me. Tell me how much you like me. I like you. You're an idiot. I know, but I like you. That's what we do with approval. That's what we do with approval. A lot of us use competence and skill, security, and comfortable circumstances. Is that not like America, though? Right? We want to be what? We all want to be comfortable. Comfortable. We've got to have comfort. Is there anything wrong with comfort? Only if you make it what? Ultimate. And then you begin to worship it. What about beauty? Having the latest fashions. Having the right clothes. What about brains? Did you know that ministry can also be an idol? I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of pastors behind pulpits because they want, they've made that an idol and they want the approval of people. Here's what I tell my guys. I said, listen, don't tell me that you love teaching. Tell me that you love the people you're teaching too. I just love to teach. Tell me that you love the people. I love the people. I want them to grasp this. I want them to walk. I want them to live victoriously. And that's, and again, it can be ministry. But here's the problem, guys. All of those things, well, they make terrible gods. Well, pastor, back it up. Back it up scripturally. I'm glad you asked. Jot this down. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, these people exchanged the truth of God for a lie. What did they do? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. You go, what happened? They reversed the creative order. They started worshiping creature rather than God. Can I let you in a little secret before we move on? And we may not even finish the psalm, but this is important, okay? When you take, now listen, it's subtle. And, and you may not even know you did it. And you might be going, I didn't realize that I had an idol. When you take it and just tell God, listen, Lord, I need to put it in its proper place. There's joy that comes back in your heart. I'm telling you, you're free. You're free. Because you're not looking for something or someone to bring you satisfaction. Christ is already doing that. And you say, God, listen, I love my family. I love my husband. I love my job, whatever it might be. But I love you more. Last night I was counseling with a couple. And you've heard me say this a thousand times. Whenever I tell men and women that are wanting to get married, you need to love Jesus more than you love her. Why? 
Because, because you're taking what's ultimate and that'll set you free. You will never put God-like expectations on somebody. When you do that, it's, it's so depressing and it's so discouraging. Why? Because they're not God. There's so many more, guys. There's so many more that we can talk about. But remember, Paul tells us in Romans, he says, there are so many people who reverse the creative order. They're worshiping the creature. They're worshiping, right? Now, here's what we used to say. When we go to a football game, it's worship, right? That's a surface idol, right? When you root for your favorite team, that's a surface idol. You need to look deeper and see, where is that coming from? Because if your team can lose and you're still happy that you got to see a football game, you're okay. But if your team loses and you're mad for a week, you've got an idol. Am I lying? That's the truth. There's a lot of people. They, they'll be like, well, I, you don't know what you're talking. No, 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 no. It's, de- it's deep. It's deep. Now, listen, when, when you get this concept, all the Old Testament you'll see. You'll see Jeroboam set up an idol there in Dan. And when we were there, Tamara, you'll remember this. When we were there, we were just like, wow, Jeroboam set up this idol. We saw where he, where Jeroboam in the Bible set up this idol, this, this place to sacrifice. And now when I read it, I go, oh, my goodness, it's so much more impactful. That was the place where they worshiped. But think about how we, how we worship, guys. And what David says, guys, he gives you the best instruction. What does he say? Only worship the one true God. Only worship. You want to be set free tonight? Say, God, I have put this on the throne. I have put that on the throne. I have, I have made this ultimate. I've, it, they're all good. They're good stuff, but I've made it ultimate, and I want you on the throne. And I'm taking this off, and I'm putting you on the throne. And all of a sudden, this weight will be lifted off, and you'll be set free. Well, we've got to finish. Psalm, it goes on. Look at verse 2. David says, I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. In the day I cried out, you answered me. And you made me bold with strength in my soul. Why is David worshiping God, guys? Why? Because he says, because of your loving kindness and your truth. And he says, and your word. If you weren't here last week, remember the importance of God's word in our lives. The importance. Now, listen, it's cool to read other books. It's cool to read magazines, but study the word of God. Let that be in you. Let that be a sponge. You know what a sponge does? A sponge absorbs everything around it. And when it's squeezed, guess what comes out? Whatever liquid has been put into it. And if, you're, and if you're a sponge and you, and you soak up the word of God, when the world begins to squeeze you, all that comes out is the word of God. That's what he's saying. This is why David says, I praise the Lord. And I love, I love that David sings about when I cried out. Notice he says, when, when I was praying, you answered me. You answered me. I read a story with Josh McDowell. Some of you know who he is. When he was attending seminary in California, his father went home to be with the Lord, and his mother had died years earlier. But Josh wasn't sure that his mom was really saved, and he became depressed, thinking that she might be lost. Was she a Christian or not? And the thought obsessed him, and he prayed, Lord, 
somehow give me an answer so I can get back to normal. I just got to know. I just got to know. It seemed like, what, an impossible request. Well, two days later, Josh drove to the ocean. He walked at the end of the pier to be alone. He sat. There sat an old woman in the lawn chair fishing. Where's your home originally, she asked. Michigan, Union City, Josh replied. Nobody's ever heard of it. I tell people it's a suburb of Battle Creek. Interrupted the woman and the... The woman interrupted him and said, I have a cousin from there. Did you, do you know the McDowell family? Stunned, Josh said, yes, I'm Josh McDowell. I can't believe it, said the woman. I'm your cousin to your mother. Do you remember anything about my mother's spiritual life, asked Josh. Why, sure. Your mom and I were just girls, teenagers, went to a tent revival, came to town. It was the fourth night. We both went forward to accept Christ. Praise God, shouted Josh, startling the surrounding fishermen. Say, God, guys, listen, that's, that's what David said. He says, listen, I cried out and you answered my prayer. You answered my prayer. Point number two, and we'll move pretty quick through here, guys, is God's plan for the world. Notice verse four. It says, all the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud... He knows from afar. Do you notice what he says, guys? Notice what happens. What happens when answered prayer, what does it do? It gives witness to the lost, doesn't it? Why? Because he's saying, now the kings are looking at you and they're, and they're, they're seeing that you're God. God, he came, David came with strength and might and he's, and it's born out of all of this going on. He's going, and the kings are going, wow. Why? Because he says, notice, all the kings will praise the Lord. All the kings will praise the Lord, and they will sing of the Lord's way. Now listen, church, listen. When God moves mightily in our lives, people will see it, and they might come to the Lord. Amen? But let me say this, okay? You got to jot this down. But not only in the good times, but in also in the bad times. Pastor, what do you mean? Listen, if you're having a really bad a really bad day, a really bad week, or a really bad month, you know what I'm talking about. Things are really, it's, you're, you're like living in Bummer City, you know what I'm talking about? People will understand. And that, that's how people are. Oh, I get it, man. Yeah, you've had a rough, yeah, this happened and this happened. I get it. They'll understand, right? Because people are very, they're not going to look at you and go, well, you're a Christian, you should not be human. They just know, you know, you've, you've had a death here, you've had a setback there, this is what's going on. But understanding does not mean that we represent Jesus well. What do you mean, Pastor? Guys, there are times in our lives when... Now now catch this, guys. There are times in our lives when God is going to move mighty in the good times, and people are going to see it and praise God, and they're going to move mightily in the bad times. How so? We lived it two years ago when Nathalie was diagnosed with cancer. It was a bad time. We'd sit at the Sonic and just cry. We didn't know what, what was going to happen. We just, it, was, it was a bad week, month, year. But God was glorified even in this because of her foundation, because of her walk. And the only thing she said to me is she says, Honey, I want to make sure this is for something. And I want people to see and glorify God because of it. 
Isn't it easy to shout God from the mountaintop? Shout the praises of God from the mountaintop? But we should be shouting them from the valley as well. Why? Because he's still God. And he has to overwhelm us and love us. And the third one, the third one is thanking God for his purpose in life. He says, though I walk through the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Don't you just love it? Why? Can we not relate or what? Isn't that right? What does he say? He says, though I walk through the midst of trouble. Anybody ever have trouble in life? Of course we do. Of course we do. I love that David says, man, there's always a plan and a purpose. Why? Here's what I've learned, and I'm still trying to learn it, guys. Maybe you, maybe you can teach me. I don't know. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude because of it. And I usually have a stinky attitude. I'm trying to learn, listen, how am I going to receive this? How can I, how can I glorify God in this? Why? I need to understand that, that he has a plan and a purpose for everything that goes on. Everything. Why? Because when I gave my life to him, everything that I go through is now father filtered. And so I'm either supposed to learn something and and you know what you know what happens when when I whine and act like a child he lets me but I still have to take the test again everything's father filtered guys and david says listen i've i've had some rough i've had some rough time man he says but but listen you're going to save me you're going to revive me he says the lord will perfect what does that mean it refers to the work in david's life especially the davidic covenant to perfect means God using an experience to mature or strengthen or complete his servant. Did you hear that, church? To perfect means using an experience. What's he trying to do? He wants to grow you up. You know why you have trials? You know why you have stresses, anxiety at times? There's times he's saying, it's time to grow up. I want you to grow a little bit more. Or you go, no, I don't want to grow. Or might want to to strengthen you or even to complete you. And David says, the Lord will do these things, all the things that concern me. Pastor, your point, it's 8.30, but let me say this, okay? It's not always a spiritual attack in your life. The Lord loves you so much. Now, listen. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. God loves you enough that he says, okay, you're mine now. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. Do you guys remember when your kids were babies? Do you remember that? I remember. They grow so fast, don't they? But every stage of life, you've never said, don't grow. God always gave you the grace for every stage of their life. And then they grow and they're young adults and and you have this joy of watching them. And that's what he wants to do with us, guys. He wants to grow us, he wants to strengthen us, and he wants to mature us. All in the process of praise. And that's what David says. Amen?
Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word, and we thank you, God, that you're in control of all things and we love you. And God, we thank you that we can praise you, Lord. And I don't praise you because I feel like it. I praise you because you are worthy to be praised. I praise you because you are my ultimate. And Father, when it comes to idols, I know that there are a lot that sneak, try to sneak back in my heart, God. It's a constant battle, but I need to purposely get up and say, Lord, you are ultimate. You are God. And I trust you and I love you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.